we're really looking at a world where everybody is co-creating the future, not just those from privilege and those from the power structures of old. Welcome to Participate. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Dr. Julie Kane. On the podcast, we have a first, an upskilling roundtable. We'll have a discussion about the future of upskilling, about diversity, equity, inclusion, and access in upskilling and the role communities of practices can play in upskilling. We're thrilled to be joined for the discussion by Don Fraser from Education Design Lab, Tiffany Delgado from Innovate Educate, and Carol Carter from Global Minded. Let's get started. So Julie, we are about to hear a conversation that we had a round table. So we had lots of people joining us um, for a conversation about upskilling. Um, and so I thought we together should set the stage for what we mean by upskilling, like maybe even a definition and what we mean by workforce development. And then, um, you know, one of the cool things is that we're kind of actively involved in this as a as a company ourselves. So maybe give an example to highlight, you know, this non-traditional form of learning and recognition. Okay, this is a great topic. We are really thinking about this at Participate. And we also wanted to kind of walk the walk and use a lot of the tools that we are been investigating and building and working with partners around, particularly around digital credentials, open badges, things like that. Mm -hmm. And our whole definition of upskilling, and I think you've said this a lot before, Mike, you know, we sort of see ourselves as a startup. We are a startup. We're kind of two years old-ish, and we all wear lots of hats. You wear a ton of hats. You work with partners. You do podcasts. You write blogs. You, you know, I, as a chief learning officer, I'm a researcher, but I'm also thinking about staff development. We um, have a sales uh, role, um, mm -hmm. you know, all kinds of things that I was not formally trained to do. <laughs> I mean, let's yeah. just be clear. I definitely do not know anything about sales. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I've had to learn on the job. Let's just, that, yeah, yeah. so whatever I know, I have learned while here at Participate. So I think when we're talking about upskilling, um, we really have to just kind of blast that apart and really think about organizations in this current environment have to be super flexible, super nimble. Technology is changing daily. You know, obviously every organization shifted online. I mean, think about every single organization on mm -hmm. this planet, um, from schools to nonprofits to museums, had to reinvent themselves it overnight. So I think really, particularly in this time, upskilling has taken on a whole new format. And I think traditional workforce development just doesn't work. And the traditional silos of university or and you're going to graduate and then you're going to go into a job and you're going to stay in that job for your whole career. I mean, that hasn't been true for years. Um, so what we've thought about at Participate, we have not loved a lot of the traditional software that supports human resources. So we were thinking about, okay, how can we use the tools that we're making to support our own staff? So we're using a community of practice approach Folks at this at uh, participate are picking accountability partners, and they're thinking about areas in their job that they really want to learn more about. But sometimes it's outside of their job. So data analytics has been a big thing. We really want to democratize the use of data across the whole organization. Is it only one person producing analytics for the whole group? 
and so that they can use data to, to, you know, change or enhance what they're doing. We want everyone to have access to those tools. So there's a bunch of our staff that are working with a mentor around data analytics, um, even community of practice. We are, you know, always learning. So there's a bunch of staff that are really trying to um, learn more. You're getting involved in that, reading mm-hmm. more of the academic literature on community of practice, thinking about how do we really help connect the theory to the practice. So these are um, examples. And so folks are kind of spending our whole like last three months. um, We've dedicated some time every week for people to really think through what they're doing, to find an accountability partner, to have some heads down time um, for them to really learn. And then they use the digital credential space to kind of demonstrate what they're doing. Um, It's formative. It's not summative. Then as the organization, because we have the digital credential, we have the data as an organization to understand, okay, where are some gaps? Where are some other areas where, okay, how can the organization support the professional learning growth? We have an amazing staff and we want to keep them so and we also want to like open pipelines to interns to diverse you know to really diversify our internal workforce so we're working a lot even in terms of the pipeline um, to really figure that out so I think we're going to hear a lot about this in this upcoming conversation but we know there's so much talent out there and traditional workforce development has too often marginalized huge amounts of people and the cost to our society is too great we need more people in the pipeline Mm -hmm. (laughs) A lot more people. And it's exciting. You know, so you've heard what we're doing at Participate related to upskilling. We're giving people some dedicated time, letting them explore areas of interest that they're interested in in learning more about on the job while they're still working. Um, you know, but we're going to hear now from three groups, three experts that are doing this kind of work every day. Don Fraser, Tiffany Delgado and Carol Carter. So stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast. We're really excited to have this conversation about upskilling. Let's go around the room and we'll get you to introduce yourselves to the audience to set the table. Let's uh, start with Dawn and then Tiffany and then Carol. Thanks for having me on. I'm, yeah, I'm just happy to join you all today for this really important conversation. And, you know, and it's one that I could probably talk all day about. So, but, uh, so I'm going to try to be succinct uh, this morning. Uh, but, uh, again, my name is Don Frazier. I'm the chief program officer at education design lab. Uh, we are a, a, uh, seven year old nonprofit organization based out of Washington, DC. And, uh, we are very much focused on, uh, designing education toward the future of work. Uh, people say, what does that mean? And it's really about developing and testing, new models and solutions, particularly with learning providers and across ecosystems uh, to improve education and life outcomes for new majority learners. Thanks, Don. Hi, Tiffany. Hello. Um, thank you all as well for having, for having myself and Innovate Educate on. Um, I've been with Innovate Educate for, I think, going on six or seven years. Um, they are about a 12-year nonprofit based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, and ideally Innovate Educate um, obviously focuses on the future of working learning, but specifically around skills-based uh, learning. Hello, my name is Carol Carter, and I'm the founder and CEO of Global Minded, and it's great to be here with all of you on this topic. Uh, Global Minded is about creating a capable, diverse talent pipeline to get more women, 
uh, people of color, underrepresented, ability status, any way you can define diversity into the education, economic mobility, and leadership pipeline. So in a nutshell, that's what we do at Global Minded. And we work with populations across areas, across geographies, across age levels. We've got you know, six amazing people over 80 that are incredible leaders, diverse leaders in our group. Um, one of them, Bernie Milano, who ran the KPMG Foundation for 50 years. So we really take the diversity of thought and, and diversity on every level, you know, so, so seriously. So we look forward to partnering with you on these issues um, to inform and advance what the collective intelligence here can really bring to close the equity gap. It's amazing. So each of you bring uh, a unique perspective in expanding the ecosystem for traditional workforce development. In the same order as we did introductions, it would be amazing if you could share your perspective on what adult learning and upskilling means to you in the context of your work and your experience. Mike, I love that you're you're asking this question. Uh, it feels really timely given what we're doing at, at Education Design Lab. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just say that you know, from my perspective, again, I think this, this, the science and theory behind adult learning is that we, we really learn best through application of our learning, through reflection, something that I think is probably hard for us to do on the day-to-day. -day. Uh, iteration, doing, trying, try again, right? This whole idea of, uh, of putting what you're learning to use. And what I really appreciate about this moment we're in is the shift to talking about lifelong learning, you know, this recognition that we can continue to learn into adulthood and that we should continue to learn in an ongoing fashion. Uh, yeah, the, the, there's all sorts of interesting research about the shelf life of skills not being as long as they once were. Uh, we know that based upon the pace of technology that there are jobs that haven't been created yet. So it's really vital that we create learners, uh, people who are curious and interested in learning new things because that's what the market's going to need. Uh, upskilling, I believe, is an effort uh, and the result of the fact that we've not placed enough emphasis on the importance of continuing to learn and build new skills. Uh, it's, it's necessary now, but I'd like to think that education as a whole can adjust so that the message is that whatever learning you're doing is a moment in time, not the end of your learning journey. And, and I think that would be a, a, you know, a real shift at the lab. Um, I've, I've personally done a lot of work on the acquisition of 21st century skills like oral communication, collaboration, resilience, uh, empathy. And we see this really as a necessary component of upskilling right now. Sure, I think there's a need for a discrete set of technical skills, but employers continue to assert really how important these 21st century skills are regardless of the job or industry um, and, and education, it just has not yet figured out how to be more intentional about making these skills part of the learning process. Um, one other piece, and then I'll be quiet, uh, that I'll mention is that we're working on developing what we're calling micro pathways, which we describe as two or more credentials. Um, and this is part of our work around uh, the Community College Growth Engine Fund. So as the name suggests, we're doing this with work with community colleges who are co-designing these micro pathways with their employer partners. So what they're building is a shorter, is shorter than a full certificate or a degree, 
uh, takes less than a year and includes the most important skills for in-demand in industries. So, you know, from, again, to me, it's really about identifying the skills you have, uh, crafting with partners what it means to continue to learn, to prepare somebody for job roles. Um, and, and upskilling, I hope, becomes like a, you know, in some ways, a thing of the past. You know, it's, it's necessary now, but I hope it's not something that is requiring all of our intense focus. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with, with several points that Don just made. Um, you know, Innovate Educate um, has spent an immense amount of focus on actually defining the necessary skills for success, right? I mean, soft skills, power skills, you know, however you, professional skills, whatever you want to call them. Um, now, I think we've kind of flopped, flipped and flopped back and forth a couple of times. I think we may, the industry may very well be back on soft skills. Um, but we did, we spent about... Um, six years building out a soft skills assessment uh, funded in part by Walmart Foundation, Kellogg, um, and a couple of other funders um, where we were able to um, build a not, you know, an unbiased um, assessment that would allow in 15 minutes would allow adult learners to be able to self-identify their skill sets. Um, and very similar to what Don said, we are finding that employers are saying, you know, that 51, 49%, 51% of it, I can't teach you. Um, the other 49% I can, and it's all in how you carry out what I'm giving you. One of the key things to note is actually to having the employers to, number one, understand and identify, you know, those those skills and for them to, to understand the weight of a credential and or, you know, understand the value. Um, and so that's kind of been a lot of the um, the advocation that, you know, Innovate Educate has done over the years is for the employers to find value in, you know, a lot of the, the credentials, the assessments, um, and, and the skill set um, that's necessary for the positions within the organization. I think this is super interesting. As you know, as you're talking, I'm also thinking a lot about things like the gig economy, um, where, you know, you are your own business and you are uh, your own business owner. And there are a lot of gaps, I'm sure, in someone's knowledge if they are someone who does deliveries or something like that, things that they might want to look to to improve the way that they do their business. Especially adult learners are placed in these situations more and more where they are finding themselves in careers or jobs. And, and I'm not any different, to be honest, working at Participate, where, where you're doing things that you may not necessarily be an expert at, and you have to find room to, to learn the things, the gaps in your knowledge. Am I right? Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I, again, you know, being open, right, um, and, and aware that there's more learning to do. I, you know, one one assessment I'm fascinated by that I saw learned about fairly recently is a, is a measure of, of adaptability. You know, we've seen people go from uh, IQ to EQ, right, to LQ, your learning quotient, like how curious you are to adaptability, AQ, you know, this idea, which particularly during COVID, right, is, is uh, so critical you know, so to what extent you can be adaptable across environments and settings and contexts is um, is about you know is where I see it headed. You know, how how nimble can you be? And and recognizing to your point, Mike, you know, in in a, the gig economy and where you're not, you you know few people are going to have 
a single job for 30 years, right, that you're going to need to be nimble and probably want to be. Yeah, and I, I think it's an interesting case of is upskilling the right word, right? Because how do you really support the development of that adaptability? And I do think this is about, if you're talking about uh, the gig econ economy, it's also about individual agency. And I think we're gonna touch on this as this conversation goes on around equity and how who gets to sort of operate in this gig economy, in which way. And I think Don, you talk a lot about the sort of shift from kind of institution centric to learner centric. And I think that's sort of where I think this is at. It's sort of how do we sort of shift institutions to really thinking about this, A, so that they can work together better. So I'm curious if you can talk more about that sort of shift from institution centric and learner centric. Sure, yeah, and that, that's definitely at the center of what we, we tend to talk about at the lab. The idea that uh, when institutions were set up, right, it was really like, you know, it, it was build it here and and design for who we believe will be coming through the doors, right? But we now know, looking at who is coming through the doors and and what industry needs, that that has to change, right? This idea that we we build within without consideration for or without involvement of is just not a a way to succeed going forward right we you know what we see as interesting projects or groups are those that are uh communicating with multiple stakeholders right they they they're recognizing like we're not necessarily experts on this right but we're going to work with the experts on this and uh being smarter about that type of approach, I think is what is going to position somebody or an organization for success going forward. Uh, and we have to really tune into what the learners need, right? So uh, this idea that we have to refocus and think to ourselves, um, you know, we have a complex array of learners who come through our doors, their needs change in many ways life gets in the way, uh, how do we design with that in mind versus just an end goal of preparation for a certain role? So bringing learners to the table, for example, is unusual, but doable, right? Um, this shouldn't be that hard. And also when you think about the idea that um, here we are trying to just prepare learners for what we think they need or want, um, you know, we have to we have to be nimbler in our thinking, right? Uh, we have to be smarter about our approach. So shifting to what learners need is important, particularly during a time where they can get their learning in many different places these days, right? Uh, so if you want to actually stay in the market, uh, keep your doors open, the dollars coming through, then you better recognize that you need to meet their needs, not just what you think the market needs. Yeah, and I think that's where, um, and Tiffany, I'd love for you to even talk to this too, just in terms of where those partnerships have to be in place, like that nimbleness, the ability for institutions to shift. I think it's in these partnerships because I think these partnerships can <laughs> allow institutions to really learn from one another and sort of break down their their walls, but yeah, Tiffany, I don't know if you have some thoughts about that. Yeah, completely. I mean, traditionally, innovative educated in the past, and, and I've actually uh, 
uh, ran a program in the DFW Metroplex funded by the Walmart Foundation. It was an entire economic mobility, you know, incumbent um, and job seeker mobility efforts across DFW um, that has been highly successful now, thanks to the leadership of Lori Larea and the Workforce um, Solutions of Greater Dallas. I mean, they've taken it even further than we thought we could at the moment. Um, but I think it's just like, you know, Don said, I think it's really important for um, the right strategic partnerships. Um, and that's really what Close It, I think, is kind of about, is being able to bring the, the different, um, you know, the different sectors uh, of, you know, the economy and bringing them all together, whether it's, you know, business and industry, economic development, workforce development, you know, your ed tech, your employment tech, your, you know, workforce development, policy, you know, philanthropy. I mean, I think it's about bringing the right folks together and then defining the outcomes um, and then we're working together towards the same goal. Um, and what's, in what's interesting this year about Close It, what's a little bit different is um, we actually, instead of doing any kind of, you know, breakouts or instead of doing, you know, just a, a voice on the stage kind of talking to you, we decided uh, this year we were going to outline ideation hubs. And so um, each hub actually has kind of a defined goal or outcome. Um, and then as individuals were signing up, they could sign up to close it to either be, you know, an observer and just kind of, you know, observe what was going on in, in this, you know, um, ideation hub, or they could sign up almost as a active contributor. And so we were finding, you know, folks from, you know, very interesting um, sectors were actually joining in on some of these ideation hubs and contributing, actively contributing to outcomes. Um, and that's where Participate has been so incredibly successful uh, partnership for Close It in that, um, you know, we've been able to access in our own time, right? Because trying to get everyone together and trying to, you know, we're all kind of zoomed out, right? We're like Zoomies at this point and everyone's kind of tired of Zoom calls at this point. Um, but being able to come in at your own time, you know, and contribute, you know, what you could, when you could, take in what you can, when you can, I think is really important um, in the flexibility and that nimbleness of being able to collaborate and, and participate when you can. We live in a world now, especially over the last year, that's become a lot more socially focused and a lot more focused on DEI. And I want to understand how those ideas play into the future of work as well, because there's got to be a conversation happening about how DEI has a role to play in the future of work. Oh, yeah, that's a whammy. <laughs> um, I think Close It is really um, highlighting that space in some of the keynotes and some of the speakers that we've actually had on. Um, like I said, we convened. Um, in October, the end of October of last year, um, and really kicked off with some, you know, just like John said, Innovate Educate is very um, interesting in that, yes, you know, they're a nonprofit and they're kind of trucking down the road of, um, you know, along with everyone else, but Close It is a space where we're able to kind of highlight the work of others and um, um, really elevate some of those, uh, you know, movers and shakers in the space. Um, we had uh, Michael Brickman, who was the Undersecretary of Department of Education of the Trump administration, came on and, you know, really spoke and, and highlighted, uh, like, why skills-based hiring matters. But it was really important in that, you know, the federal government is the largest employer. The Department of Education is the largest employer 
and the fact that they were taking, you know, their requirements and breaking things down to skills, we thought really highlighted the work of, you know, um, that, you know, DE&I space of, of taking things down to the currency of skills and really removing the bias of, of degree-based, you know, um, uh, sex, you know, uh, their race, their gender, their ethnicity, their educational attainment, by being able to break things down to a, you know, a basic currency, I think was really incredible. And it was, you know, highlighting uh, the, the largest employer being able to remove bias of, of things like that. So also taking into consideration, right, that right now in the middle of a pandemic, everyone's looking for work. Um, and a lot of people, you know, took whatever work they could uh, to make it work. So I think it's about finding the right match for them and supporting technologies and, and assessments and, you know, curriculum and, and certifications and, you know, being able to highlight some of that, I think is um, what made close it very successful in this time. So Don, just sort of shifting that to you around the sort of equity work. And, and I know we're, we're very familiar with the work that you're doing around bridges and the community college fund, but can you sort of talk about the role of community college um, around um, the role that they can play in, in sort of this equity move and in sort of expanding workforce development. Sure. Yeah. We, I mean, we, we certainly recognize that community colleges uh, are, are not only central to this, but can, can lead it. And, you know, for lots of different reasons, community colleges have been, uh, you know, an afterthought, if you will. Right. Um, people, sometimes see it as not as, as less than right um when when you think about a four-year institution i mean if you're in on the west coast in california the two-year schools are older than the four-year schools right so so starting at a two-year school is not unusual it's it's very common uh but in other parts of the country and particularly here on the east coast where i am it's 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 not typically viewed that way uh, but when you think about where so many things, their price point, who they serve, their accessibility, right? For all the reasons that we're talking about, uh, the moments in time that people need training to be upskilled, et cetera, it's uh, community colleges are, are your, in many ways, your, your best bet. So we have focused a lot of our work around community colleges for, for that reason. And when we think about upskilling, when we think about equity, uh, when we think about bringing employers to the table, uh, community colleges already have a lot of the these elements in place. They just have to be reorganized in some way, reimagined in others. And uh, and also, you know, there, there needs to be an investment there, right, for in, in community colleges uh, from from, you know, from the the uh, this government. Uh, to be able to recognize that they will play a central role in helping us meet the needs of our workforce. Uh, so it's not enough to just have us, you know, work with and pick off community colleges here and there and hope that we can uh, lift up some models that others can adopt. There really needs to be a greater investment in community colleges so that they can do the work that we know needs to be done. Uh, Mike, and I'm going to jump in here one last time, and Tiffany, I, I think you and Don can both speak to this, um, you know, just in the, in the world of open and digital credentials, 
you both have mentioned the Walmart Foundation. They've become kind of a, a you know a player in this space. I think they they are wanting to to have a be a force for good here. Um, and Don, we're both participating in the Open Skills Network. Um, I'd love for you to speak a little bit about that and also what you mentioned before, just even in the, the sort of consumption, Tiffany, I think you talked about this too, is how are employers sort of consuming um, if people are presenting skills in a really diverse way, if they're packaging those skills in a really diverse way with digital credentials, um, how you see that moving forward? Sure. Uh, so Open Skills Network, and you know, I, I don't want to misspeak, so I'm just going to pull it right, right off of their, their website. Um, that they're this coalition of employers, education providers, military, and other stakeholders dedicated to advancing skills-based education and hiring. Uh, they talk about envisioning a world where individuals are trained for in-demand skills and hired for what they can do. And again, from their website, it's a world where learners and workers are empowered to use their skills as currency with the ability to understand the value of their achievements within the employment and education marketplace. And this is right up our alley at the lab, right? This idea of assembling uh, the critical stakeholders are dealing with these issues to see if we can zoom in on ways in which we can collectively solve for them. And, um, and we're excited because it looks like we're gonna be participating in one of their pilots in the coming months. Uh, but this work that uh, Western Governors University is, is spearheading, is I believe a first critical step in getting us to a place where we can actually level the playing field. We talk about this term gets thrown around a lot, right? <laughs> well, this will level the playing field, right? For, for people who are non-networked or for new majority learners or people who just don't have as, as much access as others. But I think if we can start to think about and focus on skills that people have, uh, not where it's, they've been acquired or where you are or whatever it might be, but if we can zero in on the skills and have some agreement on the placing value on skills and honoring skills that uh, people come to the table with, then I think it's a, a step towards uh, the, the future that I think we're all aspiring towards here. Yeah, Tiffany, did you have thoughts there? Yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of the work that I did across Dallas, it was important for us to number one, you know, there's there there are a lot of, you know, technology and, and platforms and, and tools out there for, you know, job seekers, incumbent workers to be able to self-identify their skill sets. Um, but then taking that and translating it for an employer, um, you know, I think is an opportunity. Um there are a few tools and things, you know, for employers to go in and and um, and translate, you know, their their occupations to skills. I think there um, there's you know assessments that align to that. Um, I think it's you know a synergy of the two that um, are important. Um, so that way, they're like I said, they're talking the same language. You know, the job seekers and the employers. Carol, there's no doubt Global Minded puts a huge emphasis on equitable workforce development and making diversity, equity, and inclusion such a large focus of the work that you do. So let's turn the conversation to reimagining upskilling, particularly when we're thinking about going after structural inequities. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, um, you know, I'm Re almost done with um, Elizabeth Wilkerson's book, Cast, but you just realize these patterns around the world that are similar to what's happened here in this country. And 
that it's going to take a multi-pronged approach because those kinds of structures of hierarchy, structures of the, you know, really old kind of colonialism and everything, it's in higher education. It's, it's in the healthcare industry. It's in the technology industry. It's in foundations and funders. It's the way in which money can stay stuck and not move. And I think what we realize is the last three decades, um, Pamela Newkirk is an amazing person who wrote this book, Diversity Inc. And she researched the last three decades, the billions that have been spent by corporations on um, diversity and inclusion training. And guess what? We haven't moved the needle for women or people of color before COVID. So the billions that have been spent just by corporations trying to become more inclusive hasn't yielded the results. So we say at Global Minded, it takes a multi-pronged strategy for systemic you know, change on these massive equity issues. So you have to have a strategy for the pipeline. You have to have a strategy for K-12. You have to have a strategy for higher ed. You have to have a strategy for CEOs of companies. You have to have a strategy for the emerging leaders. Those are the students. And then you have to have a strategy for foundations and funders who, you know, I think like you can act like you're doing something and it can look like window dressing. There could be millions of dollars exchanged. And we really see now like, no, we have to get really real about the real outcomes that people are able to deliver. And we've had a lot of um, the opposite of that over the last several decades before this crisis hit. So I think part of it is everyone's realizing the last year, the realities that were revealed in the last year have been there for so long. And now we have to get really real about the kinds of things that we've been doing that have not been enough and have not created that change. And so we say at Global Minded, who are uncommon collaborators that you're willing to work with? Who, how can your circles become bigger? When people say, oh, we want people of color on our boards or in our company, but we don't ever find them. It's like, well, guess what? Your circles are too tiny because there's so much talent out there. Global Minded is like 65% diverse in the people that we serve. And, you know, every day in our newsletter, which you can sign up online to get it on the globalminded.org site, we feature amazing diverse people so that students who are at predominantly white institutions, maybe they don't see diversity in who's teaching them. I say, these are the people that are going to show us out of the crisis of the last year because they have strength that is like not on par with what most people go through, especially most people from privilege. And I, I think, you know, people need to really source their strength from the amazingness of these of these kinds of people. And they are in our midst, you know, so you may not know them, but if you don't know them, it's not it's not anyone else's fault other than how do you make your world more diverse with these incredible humans? So your company, your organization, whatever you're doing can benefit from them and they you, you know, it's it's a two way street. Yeah, Tiffany and Don, I'd love for you to jump into anything that Carol said, but I think what I'm also hearing is, you know, the role, I think, of diversity and inclusion in sort of saving the pipeline, <laughs> you know, as opposed to a nice to have, it's really a must have, right? That, so I, I, I wonder if the three of you can speak to that, which is really thinking about um, sort of instead of just DEI as again, this nice to have, how critical to have these different voices at the table to really solve these challenges. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, in, in some ways, you know, everything Carol said is, is you know, is, is so is spot on, right? I mean, it, you know, I think that, that um, 
you know, this is this is not just a U.S. problem first first and foremost, right? I, I think that in in many ways, you know, we're we're here talking about uh, some of the, the the ways in which we're trying to solve for the issues here in the U.S., but a lot of the work and and the the concepts, the ideas are, are things that are happening across the globe. Uh, we've done a, a quite a bit of international work ourselves. Uh, particularly around the 21st century skills, the, the skills like uh, I mentioned earlier, oral, co oral communication, creative problem solving, et cetera, right? This, this is not a, a local uh, challenge uh, and it's so central to the, um, the workforce globally uh, that if we can start to focus, again, I, I'm gonna go back to putting the focus on the capabilities uh, that, folks who are saying, yes, we want to bring black and brown folks into the pipeline, right? Um, as, as Julie, you said, you know, because it's important or it's necessary, it's like these, these people have tremendous assets and capabilities, right? That we have not yet honored. And we, and, and the systems that we have set up do not honor them, whether those are applicant tracking systems or, you know, the ways in which we, Right, exactly. All of those things. That's right. Um, so, so we have to think about the systems uh, differently to be able to uh, understand the talent we actually have in these individuals. I just wanted to highlight one more piece um, in regard, and just carrying on with Carol said, it had uh, Dr. Angela Jackson with uh, New Profit and Josh Kopitz with Awake at JFF Labs on. Um, last month, I think. And it was very interesting. One of the things that Angela said that really stuck out with me, I even wrote it down on a sticky note and stuck it on the side of my computer, but she said, you can't train your way to equity. Um, and I, it really stuck out with me and it just, you know, really sat with me for such a long time. And she, um, I know that I'm pretty sure you guys are, you know, aware of their, uh, the future of work grand challenge that, um, they're doing in partnership with, uh, um, XPRIZE, uh, MIT, I think JFF Labs is part of it. Um, but um, she has this great article that she posted in, I think it was in March. Um, but she actually goes through, you know, 15 bold ideas for the future of work. And what's interesting is that, you know, these are movers and shakers that they're, they're funding. I think there's like 25,000 uh, folks they're trying to um, um, to upskill in this initiative with, I think it's 15 different, forgive me if I'm quoting this wrong, I apologize, but I think there's like 15 different areas that they're focused in. Um, but just, you know, watching people like this, like watching, you know, the generation, you know, McKenzie's, the the last mile, um, Practera, um, I don't know, just kind of watching all of this and seeing what they're doing is really you know, it's inspiring for, for folks like myself, you know, and, and watching some of the work that they're doing, being able to highlight some of their work, but also learning from their findings, I think has, you know, been very invaluable to my work specifically um, and a lot of the attendees that we have with Closet. So 
Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Tiffany, because we we last year when we went virtual, our tagline, and we still have it, is the future of work is diverse, inclusive, just, and equitable. And if we don't start adding those words to things like future of work, then then future of work is just the same old, same old, same old, same old, same old, and we're not defining it differently. So I, I hope that everyone is defining it in that way, using those words and making that happen, because our our actions do follow our words and they do follow our intentions. Don, what do you think? I'll, I'll just say as, as much as, as much as COVID has uh, been a challenge for us, it has definitely uh, spawned innovation and urgency. And I think partnerships are one of those more fertile spaces right, where people are recognizing that we need to open, open up the conversation to groups that maybe we haven't spoken with to gain perspectives we don't have to, uh, to ensure that the right people are at the table for the critical conversations and solutioning. Um, I love the notion of communities of practice, right, uh, this idea that we are allowing people to come into the space to learn, to contribute. And now how do we take it to a place of doing, right? Um, and how do we ensure that we're bringing, again, bringing the right people into those conversations? Because, you know, there, there are people, even though we sit in a, I sit in a very fortuitous space at the lab where we're constantly bringing in all sorts of stakeholders, uh, I, I know I have blind spots. I know there are groups I don't know about or, right, I'm learning all of the time and thinking about who needs to be a part of the conversations. Uh, sure, it feels like sometimes it, it keeps growing, growing, you know, and, and you can keep growing it to bring in the next person, the next group. Um, but too often and up until now, we've had these conversations in such small silos right, with people we're accustomed to speaking with. And uh, now is the time, right, to move from that, which is comfortable, to a place where it may be uncomfortable to include varying perspectives, maybe differing perspectives, uh, maybe perspectives that are opposed to the way we're thinking and doing. But I think it's, you know, now more than ever, right, I think this is what this moment is showing us is that we don't get to where we believe we need to be without that type of practice. That's interesting. And that's the power of a community of practice as opposed to a group or a or whatever, because a community of practice is designed to be a space where tough, hard, challenging conversations are allowed to take place because that's actually how you experience um, growth and development and the best learning is when you're challenged. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think the big response we had um, to last year's virtual event is that we can't do an event once a year. And I think this is what you guys are doing with Close It Too, that we have these pipeline events now where it's workforce, amazing people who are diverse. They're led by diverse leaders with mostly diverse panelists and students are invited, high school people are invited, like people all across that pipeline are at that table. So I think, um, you know, maybe Tiffany later with Jamee and, and um, you know, with, with you all too, we can say, how can we 
have these as two different, you know, you all on workforce and we're kind of on pipeline and you actually need both because you won't have those workforce people if this pipeline is so um, challenged in the way that it is right now. And, and I don't have to tell you guys with education that we have many superintendents retiring after this year. We have, at least in Colorado, they're saying 40% of the teachers are not going to come back as teachers. You know, there's, there's a multi-pronged thing that's part of that as well, um, as there's not a lot of diversity within the teaching field. So there's, there's just aspects of all of this that I think when we look at workforce as a piece, we also need to see it on the continuum. And so we're very much looking forward to working with you all, with our leaders, to, um, to bring the wisdom of the continuum to the workforce piece with Jamee and Jane Oates and you all and all, you know, all of our partners in that space. I think this is where we can sort of wrap up here is these ideas of communities of practice. That's why we are so happy to be partnering with all, all of you and, and why we gravitate towards folks like you in the field. So just thinking about, again, diverse communities of practice, cross-institutional, cross-sector, getting different voices at the table. If you can sort of wrap up this conversation, the importance of that in workforce development um, and how that's really, what role that's played in your work. And, and I would just add to that, that it's so important to say, we're having conversations and we're making these commitments and we're holding ourselves to these outcomes because I think that the last three decades, according to Pamela Newkirk, is what hasn't happened. People have been in the echo chambers. They've talked about stuff to each other. They've said how important X, Y, Z thing is. And then we have very little to show for it as a result. So I think like if we're at a really important moment in history right now, where I feel like everything we do is, is going to really determine, you know, what our nation is like, what our world is like, and um, being able to really lead at that much higher level than kind of what has happened over the last few years, which I think has just been more kind of cush and easy, is what we really have to hold ourselves and anybody that we work with to those kinds of outcomes. Yeah, not to go down a rabbit hole with that one, but I think also data obviously is really important, you know, with the findings and outcomes because the data is going to inform it. And that's another big issue uh, that we're facing right now is collection. And Absolutely. And for us to state, these are the things we want to measure with the programs and the solutions that we believe can make a difference. And then here are the people who can be on the learning journey with us to help us refine our hunches because we know we're not perfect without input and co-creating a solution with them. Amazing. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. Um, a lot of great conversation and a lot of really great topics. I want to thank you all for your time. Uh, Don Frazier, Tiffany Delgado, and Carol Carter, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thanks to all of you. and look forward to working with all of you in ways that we can really move the big levers. Oh, it was great to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Participate. My name is Dr. Julie Kane. My co-host is Mike Washburn, and we don't do this podcast alone. The Participate podcast team includes production by Jane Violette and Becky Latoff, with editing and music by Aaron Kane. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at participate.com. You can tweet us at Participate. Mike can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn, and I can be found on Twitter at Julie Kane. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. 
please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or in Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. Thanks as always for listening. Until next time.